0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Chris. I'm here to tell you about SeatGeek. I don't know if you've noticed, but this summer there's less television to watch. You know, there's only like a couple of shows, so you should get out of the house, go to a concert, go to a sporting event. And if you want to do that, you got to use SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets, and it's a 100% free service. So, SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. Imagine kayak.com, but for concerts, festivals, and sporting events. And when you're ready to buy your tickets, you can snag a great deal right from your phone with just two taps of your app. There's really no better way to find tickets this summer. Ticket has a technology called deal score. Let me tell you about that. What it does is it calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you might pay for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. Good deals are represented in big green dots on the map and bad deals are represented in small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. No other ticketing app has a feature like this. This week only, use promo code Hollywood, a.k.a. Hollywood Perspectives, promo code Hollywood, in the SeatGeek app and save $20. You get a $20 repay off your first SeatGeek purchase. It will take less than a minute to download the app today. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Hollywood in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code Hollywood today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to summer concert tickets and sporting events.
1: And now, Hollywood Prospectus.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for GrantLand.com. And on the other line, he just bought a winter spot in Hard Home.
1: It's Andy Rewalds. I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were going to introduce me in giant. giant yeah, tone. you
0: see, you got a spot there because the powder's fresh.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. Do you and think it's... that
0: any wildlings were like, What was like, the wildling who was like up the river fishing a little bit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just comes back and he's got like some trout <laughs> and he's like, uh, did you guys do something with the wall? Am I missing something here? <laughs>
1: did you guys all get contacts? Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay you didn't real tell funny me. not tell me right and i come back with the crazy eyes
1: <laughs> i have so many questions obviously we're talking about game of thrones first this week after a very big episode i kind of want to know about like obviously there's there's you could shop at wildlings boutique mm-hmm. but then there's also wildling kids where you well, can get okay, the same parka great point they in... definitely
0: had snow camo uniforms like they yeah. they had like clothes this time Yes. I feel like in the past it's been more like rags, like you're, you know, like a warmer version no. of a sparrow.
1: This they reminded me of the Naughty by Nature "Holler if You Hear Me" video, you know, <laughs> yeah. where they're like all on the slopes. <laughs> I thought of would like, be
0: wearing Tim's. Yeah. I
1: kind of, I feel like we were one step away from that, so maybe it's a good thing that death rained down upon them, a thousand fiery. Arrows.
0: We'll have plenty of time for jokes. Anyway, we're also going to talk about *Halt and Catch Fire* today. A little bit about <clears throat> uh, new records from ASAP Rocky and Chance the Rapper, and uh, America's
1: favorite rom-com.
0: Chris goes to the movies and sees *Aloha* by himself in America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but first, let's talk about this incredible episode of *Game of Thrones*. Uh, we had been in a mid-season slump. I think everybody kind of acknowledged that. You know, really good episode for about 35 minutes, like the d- Daenerys Tyrion stuff. We're going to talk a little bit Wonderful. more about that, I think, on Watch of the Thrones. But a real quality episode. I think everything was moving along. A lot of two-hander conversation scenes. You're like, all right, all right, I can see where things are going. Yeah, this is cool. Sure. And uh, I think that as soon as you saw the epic grandeur of the shot of Jon Snow uh, approaching the coast in his boat with the snow flurries coming down... Um, the little hairs on the back of your neck must
1: have stood up. Yes, but here's the thing. I didn't see it coming. I didn't well, watch it. Well, no, the, I mean,
0: none, nobody did, right? I mean, this no one did, gonna, right? Yeah.
1: I, I didn't watch the next week on. So I don't know if they, they alluded to the fact they that there would be a 25-minute giant battle. They, they did didn't. not tease this, no. That's amazing. So they really only ruined things in the previously on, not on the next week on. Yes. Um. So I just think I, I, it was um, it was an amazing and pretty great feeling to not realize what was coming and then to realize wait, is there enough time for this? Yeah. Are they going to show... Th- is this all going to happen right yeah, now? Yeah,
0: that's that's always kind of interesting when you, like, look at your yeah. watch or you, like, click info on what you're watching to see. You're like, yo, this is 22 minutes you're going to do this yeah. for? Like,
1: like, is that for real? Yeah. And then also... <laughs> Also, because when they got there, it really, you know, it went kind of quickly. Like, they had places to be, as evidenced by Tormund Giantsbane just greeting Mr. Bones. Yeah, I know. He was just like, club. you
0: guys, this is not going to be the highlight of my day. Yeah. So
1: let's keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> I have some stuff to do. I got some and most items. of you. Yeah. Most of you have to die. <laughs> yeah. So let's just keep yeah. this rolling. Most of you have uh, to die.
0: And if you are signing up to die, by all means, wish a fond farewell to your children.
1: <laughs> first of all, that I mean, that that's the other thing. I, I often... I'm going to go two ways with this. One of the reasons why this episode was really good, I think, is that because of the nature of Thrones, right? We talk about this constantly on both of our podcasts. It's very difficult to tell what sort of, especially for non-book readers, what specific job Benioff and Weiss are performing in any given scene. Yeah, Are they being able stewards? Are they being, like, nimble adapters? Or are they being kick-ass screenwriters? Which, by the way, they also are, especially Benioff. Um these the 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 highlights of this episode uh and i and i feel comfortable saying this because i emailed with jason concepcion last night at midnight the daenerys Tyrion scene and everything that happened at the end were completely original creations
0: yeah and those scenes are tipped with dragon glass like those scenes you could just tell that the best writers on game of thrones were writing those scenes
1: yes and and seemed thrilled at the prospect of giving voice to these characters and allowing these epic conflicts to play out without really worrying about the where the track. You know, they were building they were building their own track at that point. That said, you know, there are a couple things that you just kind of have to do when they when they sail into a place we've never seen before and god help us if we ever go back again, you have to do some serious pipe laying and i'm not talking about little fingers brothel <laughs> to make it a place that we understand yeah. the scope the and physics. stakes of
0: also the physics like just knowing that there's the water there's the camp there's like a land beyond the camp and then there's some mountains yeah
1: and okay so we're gonna slaughter thousands of people we have to give some of them a face so we have to introduce uh i guess the the production stills that hbo mailed out said her name was carcy was whatever she's in, she in pitch in, perfect too she's in pitch perfect too yeah uh which is a really interesting resume at this point, we had to get to know her, we had to get a sense of her because we had to, it had to have stakes when she was devoured alive by rabid, half-naked zombie children. So all of that is to forgive the fact that, yeah, I mean, that was pretty mcbain for her to be like, I'm right behind you, but my beloved it. children.
0: Like, here's my thing. I'm on Game of Thrones. I'm a character inside Game of Thrones. I am d- going full, like, Groundlings improv- if I'm in a battle scene and yeah. I'm writing my own speech, and if yeah. my kid is like, you're going to be right behind us, I'm going to be like, probably not. <laughs> in fact, I could think of no more glorious way to end this day than to be devoured by zombies. And you know what? I'm ready for that because my sacrifice is worth it. I would just go tap yeah. the entire other direction so that, like, the gods, Benioff and Weiss, look down on me and were like, oh, yeah, you know what? This guy needs to live. I just would never, ever be like, I'm right, I'm right behind you. And by the way, I love you guys.
1: And I love you so much, (laughs) and I'll always be with you, regardless of what may or may not not happen in the next 10 minutes. May
0: I be with you as an undead blue ice walker?
1: Sure. Sure, but let's jump off of that bridge when we get to it. um,
0: Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to kind of pick your brain about, you alluded to this at the end of your recap today, and it's the first thing that jumped into my mind, was um, this battle at Hardhome was the first time that I feel like um, I'd seen somebody outside of, uh, you know, frankly, like Sansa, you know, be truly not be traumatized because people are being traumatized all the time and being played and being exiled and getting grayscale and being, you know, imprisoned. But it was the first time that I felt like we got to see, it's the old Scorsese thing of like, if you're going to show violence, you have to show the consequences of violence. And I thought it was the first time we got to see someone legitimately traumatized at just how hellish the world was that they lived in.
1: Well, because this was the first time well, – not the first time, but one of the few times that we've seen a character be absolutely confronted with the reality of the world that they live in. Yeah. One thing that is sort of hard to navigate as the seasons pile up and the atrocities pile up even higher is that this is a – the show is set in a world in which people getting decapitated or their flayed bodies being displayed is more or less normal. Yeah. It's not like people are super into it, but it's not unprecedented people are familiar with death on a level that thankfully we are not maybe only the characters on the nick maybe yeah, know right. it as well as these guys do so yet but what what John and Tormund and, and the rest of their very few survivors saw is completely unprecedented to them obviously to us but i i really appreciate what you're saying because it basically lifted all boats now for the for the rest of the show because we're no longer now this is the second question that i feel like you know i think we should talk about what does this do for the stakes of all the smaller stories going forward? Now that we actually see the yeah, tsunami that's about to hit them, but you know, you said this to me in an email last night, so I'll, I'll, I won't step on your line. But this was this was the fullness of a war movie. Yeah, this, this wasn't was just Saving Game Private of Thrones. Snow, man. Yeah, yeah, this was this
0: was a war movie. Like, and I thought from the invasion <clears throat> to the retreat, it was. It, and there had been allusions to war across. You know, they talked about war in the camp around the campfire when they were sort of deciding whether or not. The Wallying should pair up with the the Freeman or the Night's Watch the, guys. The Night's Watch, and um, you know there was a little bit of stuff between Roose Bolton and Ramsey about war and about no man ever comes out from behind his fortress when he can yes. defend it, and I think a lot of traditional ideas about how you go, and, and even Tyrion and uh, Danny were talking about. What's like the way you? How do you conquer people? And what do you do if you? you know, do you just kill everyone? Do you rule from far away? Do you rule from where you are? Who do, do you do need inspire. to do? Yeah, and what's the difference between politics and conquering and whatever the line was? So I think that that was sort of a theme of the episode was these ideas of of battle, of conquest, of 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 rule, and then that just gets thrown out the window because, and and and, and here's what I wanted to say is that even you know i we, i read some stuff today about well they needed to take it up a notch from blackwater and that's why some of the visual style was the way it was but blackwater was a very traditional almost like shot like an old like the longest day or something like that like a traditional world war II movie where it's like you're coming at me and i'm going to repel you yeah. or it was very static shots like there was some handheld stuff there was some movement but for the most part i felt like it was there to show the grandeur of of the scene and it had the explosion and everything this was this was guerrilla warfare uh this was chaotic hand-to-hand combat that was just pouring in from every window and every door and out of the ground and from above and
1: it also was a complete tragedy yeah and that's how it was shot from beginning to end there was never a sense that this was a battle and that who will emerge victorious there was no other outcome and that was made quite clear from the beginning that this was doomed yeah this was going to be a slaughter one way or another and that you know that changes the tenor of it and infused it with this sort of I mean, I, I want to say melancholy, but it was because it was too much adrenaline to even give have any space for that. But it was, it, it was deeply traumatic in a way that that was both upsetting, but also kind of exciting because finally, you know, even before the battle started, to have Jon Snow making his case and be right, and you know. That w- was in itself a kind of reward to the audience. Yeah. Someone finally gets it. We've joked for a couple seasons about how, well, that army was marching. We saw them a few years ago. Where are they? Yeah. Now, their timing was impeccable. Yeah. But again, it's a TV show. But we saw him be right. We saw Tormund be, like, be reasonable. And we saw some progress being made in the sense of, you know, in, in terms of the larger larger army that has to be formed in order for this anything to happen. And it was a reminder that the, the, the Iron Throne stuff is fun as a diversion But that's not really what's happening here. That's about maintaining the status quo when, in fact, the status quo is doomed. What's going to come out of it? I
0: really liked the the connection made between the White Walkers and forces of nature because they it seems like it's yeah. an avalanche at first and i was like oh my man torren's in another avalanche
1: movie. yeah of <laughs> course know? your shout out yeah uh
0: and i i was like maybe like john snow and this and this white and, and this wildling woman will have like a, a like an hour-long domestic squabble about like you yeah know? <laughs>
1: he'll be he'll be stepfather to her kids yeah and...
0: um but it, i i really appreciated that i i really like the idea that you know we've been sort of focused on religion all year with with Cersei and um sort of faith and 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 the what arms come out of like the faith that to to sort of exact that that the ideas of of the religion and this was something older this was something more primal or maybe yes, more supernatural and, and i like the idea that that's as much a clash this season as as anything
1: else one thing that i have always wonder about the show if you are a, a fighter, mm-hmm. like if you're the kind of dude, like of all the dudes in that scene and the lady dudes who carry swords and yeah. and, and bows and arrows, you kind of have to be ready to go at all times, right? I see. And I so. just feel, I just feel like that is got to be stressful because what if you're having a bad day? What if you didn't get the second cup of coffee and you're expected to be not well, just yeah, someone but like there's also, the also swords, not but, the like,
0: alternative where they have Hulu, you know what I mean? Like they're not like <laughs> hanging out. There's Fair not a enough. lot of, like, by all accounts, like, any non-royal life in in Game of Thrones is, is pretty garbage. miserable. Yeah. I have another question for you. Um, if you're the dude who's, like, the captain of Stannis' boat, who's just yeah. making, like, he's just doing a drop-off. You know what I mean? Like, this was not, yeah. this was not can, in the contract. Can you do me a favor? Do you do can just you do- the, the ditty in the speedboat? Like, zoom! <laughs> like, when you see the first giant, like, being like, I'm scared, I'm just yeah. like peace. I'm out. You can see me like Crockett in the Keys, like just bouncing along the waves. Just, just
1: Stannis' go-fast boat yeah, going straight to Cuba. Yeah, and you get back and Stannis
0: is like, how'd that go? And you're like, here are the keys. I need a vacation. Okay?
1: <laughs> Gotta get an advance We're on this. F- giant hour. on
0: this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was not in the memo about
1: this. <laughs> was curious about the fact that once the army of ice de- undead started yeah. storming and murdering and everyone ran to the boats like a reverse Normandy, one canoe kind of stayed behind, which was super convenient. Yeah. Was someone they just also had that canoe? dude who was cloaked up. Like, was he just,
0: like, was he stoned? Or was he just like, wait, are we leaving or what, man? I just feel like there's a lot of confusion here.
1: Like, <laughs> like so should I go? Am yeah. I, who am I waiting yeah, for? Yeah, exactly. You know, I,
0: technically was... this is really only an eight-seater, guys. I mean, we also, can make some allowances.
1: Also, it doesn't seem like the... Army of the Dead will stop for much, but apparently getting their ankles wet is a non-starter.
0: Yeah, that was sort of funny. I was like, so then why don't you guys just go get an island?
1: Although, exactly, just <laughs> just just go over there where yeah. Daenerys is. Like all of a sudden, Tyrion's <laughs> words about like, do you really want it, make a lot more sense. Yeah. Although, I guess the other thing that one could say is that um, they were trying to say they were trying to murder on a massive scale, but yeah. they were also trying to send a message because. Our dude King Edgar Winter was like, per, you know, he was patrolling. Basically, that was my favorite moment. This.
0: The the look, the look, the shared look between the two of them when he was up on the on the mountain with his skeleton horse and John's yeah. down there.
1: And, uh, and so he knows John is in some is a worthy competitor. He saw what happened with the sword. And by the way, great moment, super cool. So now we know that that that. uh Three things can stop White Walkers. Uh, Obsidian or Dragon Glass, Valerian Steel like John's Sword, and Cold War or a, or a small wading pool. Yeah. Seriously, um, so like pick, the Typhoon
0: Lagoon Surf Pool.
1: Just just pick your poison. <laughs> yeah. um, that was all very interesting. I was don't
0: take a White Walker or Dorney Park. That's all I'm could saying. I just say, can
1: you imagine? No, Dorney Park's fine, but Whitewater Kingdom, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the White Walkers would just have a great day at Dorney Park. I didn't bring my suntan lotion. This is I'm <laughs> Sorry. I'm so worried about singeing out here. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed to take my shirt off. <laughs> since, I t- since you can see my ribs and all of my undead organs. Um, I was annoyed at HBO for the whole thing in the beginning where we had the flashback to John getting his special sword. Because it's like, that's, that then told us yeah, right away that he would be so. using that sword I guess so, but
0: I think special. that sometimes those things are useful because... If all of a sudden you just smashed on the dude and you were just like, so wait, now like you don't need the dragon glass, like uh, right. I thought. So the one thing I wanted to ask you about was um, was was your man the knight's king? So apparently,
1: uh, so that's what he's called.
0: That's apparently what he's called. There is a. Uh, I, I don't think that I am spoiling anything by saying, um, but if you want to skip that he, ahead that, thirty that seconds, he wins, ahead. that he wins in the end. Apparently, uh, according to the books, the knight's king is a is a former. Commander of the Night's Watch, nine hundred commanders before Jon Snow, Whoa. who ventures out, venturing out north of the Wall, and basically uh, meets a woman who sounds like a combination of a White Walker and Melisandra, like a, a blue-eyed witch kind of woman. I could be yeah. getting this wrong, but I'm just basing this off of like a wiki wiki thing and then comes back and crowns himself knight's king and i, I think the starks eventually drove him out did did, did whatever they did killed him did wow. whatever they did to him. so i don't know if this is the same guy same guy different guy same name whatever it is maybe they're just borrowing the name because it's cool but um it really lends a lot of uh importance to the exchanged glances between the two of them uh interesting interesting that they gave and it's really cool that something as sort of comical as you know, comics like uh, as this as the Zombie King um, has a has a character, but yes, Game of Thrones has always been fueled somewhat, driven by its great big bads: Joffrey, Tywin, whoever they are, Ramsay, Ramsay. Now, um, you know, Cersei to some extent. Is this guy? I don't know if this guy is like the charm chops.
1: Well, th- <laughs> I was saying the I argued the opposite because I was worried that he was just going to be like just evil CGI magic man yes. and that that would swamp the much more human villain. I mean, Joffrey was not human, but you know what I mean. Like right. a slightly more nuanced, at least because there was an actor playing him more directly or whatever. I kind of liked the way the character was in this case literally drawn, I guess. I mean, there was someone there, but they definitely CGI'd it up. I loved the sort of like sideline pacing and then the then the then the touchdown the, the spiking the ball yeah. on the dock. I mean, yeah. like, oh, well, guess what else I can do? The Deshaun. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a little charming. Like, that Definitely was, had
0: some, some attitude. I just wonder whether or not he's going to be able to get into the repartee the way some of the well, other characters Well, here's would.
1: the bigger question of all going forward. I mean, this was, just let's just say it again, this was terrific. No yeah. other show on TV can do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, It ate The Walking Dead's lunch.
0: I think this it, is easily the best set piece the show's done ever.
1: I think it was because it it had the visual flair, and, and in it, terms
0: of just visceral action on television, you have to compare it to the sixth episode of True Detective, and like I, a handful of other things. I guess I, I don't even know what I would compare it to.
1: But the scale of the scale of was unprecedented. But also the the the, the narrative was mm-hmm. really remarkable and striking and amazing. Consider you know when you consider what it means going forward. The flip side of what it might mean going forward is is really the only potential red flag, which is. It's going to be a very interesting balancing act to keep us in any way interested in in a rescue mission in Dorne. Or all this or theon exactly. or all the smaller plots that we are increasingly less interested in when this is what 's coming now, of course, there are many ways to solve this because all of a sudden you know, jo- John, who we thought for a while was isolated in the north and was sort of uh, you know, basically cut off from the main plot line. He is now the most important figure and the truth teller right. who 's going to have to basically Paul Revere all of humanity to to uniting right. against this threat but You alluded to this. The thing about Game of Thrones that I think attracted a lot of non-genre diehards was the very, very human scale of the treachery and the villainry and the the, you know the the sort of the 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 non-black-and-white heroism. This is the. It's not just the army that's threatening to swamp the continent. This is the magic and genre stuff that could be threatening to swamp the show that had attracted many non-fanboy types. i I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that was my other thought from last night.
0: We'll we'll talk more about some of the other elements of Game of Thrones on uh, Wednesday. Uh, that's our Watch the Thrones podcast. So let's uh, move on. Let's move on to finally another show on Sunday. I guess it's I say finally. It's only been a couple weeks since Mad Men went off. But we have another show to talk about from <laughs> Sunday nights, and that's AMC's Halt and Catch Fire, which came back for its second season this Sunday. Yeah. Eddie, you wrote about this last week. wrote a glowing... A glowing review of the second season of Halt and Catch Fire, which is uh, one of the few shows that I think, you know, probably in the time that we've been doing this, that has decided to change course. Like, decided to, like, yeah. they've gotten to a certain point, and they and in the second season, they've pretty much redistributed the wealth in terms of character time.
1: It, this is totally amazing to me. And I was excited by it even without actually liking it. And I did like it. I saw the first four, and I think they're really, really good. But... One of the things that I love about TV in general is the potential to reinvent, the potential to recognize what you've done wrong and steer this enormous hulking enterprise in a potentially better direction. Very few shows do that on this scale. Like every show, good show and certainly great show, course corrects and makes small things, you know, takes advantage of opportunities and happy accidents and things like that. Good
0: casting, bad casting, what have you.
1: Right, and they steer away or steer into those things. Um, Halt and Catch Fire... to me, I mean, it had its fans but it just didn't work. And it was just one of those things that you could see the enthusiasm and you could see the way they thought it was going to go and then it just didn't go that way. Mm -hmm. The the first season basically felt like uh, it was, you know, to use the show's own language, it was borrowed code. It was basically what would happen if Don Draper and Walter White uh, tried to invent the Macintosh in Texas in 1983. Now, that's kind of interesting, but immediately you had a hundred Walls that I don't think they considered. One was the fact that we've seen these characters before. The brooding mystery guy just isn't that interesting anymore. Two, think about what the hero's journey of the show was. It was about two people trying to rip off IBM and make a slightly not terrible knockoff. Yes, yes. They weren't going to make the Macintosh because they established that the Macintosh was being made at the same time and was better. So I don't really see what was the way in. And then the other thing that was interesting about the show is that it put these two characters, Scoot McNary and Lee Pace's characters, front and center. But it had Carrie Bechet as Scoot McNary's character's wife, who was a programmer in her own right. She was not, you know, sort of Skylar White sitting with a goblet of wine being angry. Um, Which, by the way, Skylar White was a great character, but that's certainly the caricature that she was portrayed as and that you know a lot of cable drama wives have sort of become and most importantly Mackenzie Davis this Canadian actress as uh, Cameron Howe who you know looked like uh, Mary Stuart Masterson in some kind of wonderful and coded like Zuckerberg in the social network and was just a total breath of fresh air but the show is insistent on the dynamic between the dudes and so anyway ratings weren't particularly good first season wasn't particularly good miraculously got a second season and they've they fixed it all. Yeah. They looked at what they did in the first season, and they were like, you know what would be a much better show? One that had the women in the leads. One that wasn't about making the same box, but one that was basically about trying to invent the future via the Internet years before the technology was ready to allow anyone to do that. So it came back. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you were struck by it. I know you didn't stick with the first season, but it, it definitely felt like a different show.
0: Uh, it did feel like a different show. I watched, the fir- I watched the first few episodes of the first season, and I watched the last episode and i thought that this second the premiere of the second season did a lot of things there were a lot of really cool things about it the feel the look the music some of the performances are all dead on like i think they're really exciting i don't know that they have fixed the unfixable which is right it's it's a show about Right now, it's still a show about like the burgeoning, the, op- the early days of modern computing in America
1: and, and modern communication because they basically invent chat rooms and they seem like they think it's a great idea at first. Sure,
0: yeah, and, and I thought that was interesting and also you know you were getting you're getting into I guess I'm trying to figure out like articulate what it is aside from like the pacing which I think some scenes just go on a little long.
1: Uh, can- could I suggest that airing the season premiere on the same night? Probably as the of not Hardhome. the best. That was like one of
0: those. Do you remember what was the I can't remember what the Mad Men was after Red Wedding but I remember that being oh, the yeah. least interesting Mad Men of all time.
1: Ever. <laughs> yeah. That is really a toughie. I mean, I really hope that, that when I, I was really urging people to watch Halden and Catch Fire last night at 10 p.m., I hope I kind of hope people didn't and yeah. that they watch it today yeah. on DVR Fresh.
0: Um, I'm trying to articulate, though, what it is about the central conceit. Like, I guess if they've rebooted everything else, they can shift around the what the show is about about part. Yeah. Um, but right now, whether or not Cameron – gets sold c- counterfeit like disc drives or whatever like yeah is not like super exciting I, to me but that I doesn't mean, necessarily mean i'm sure you've seen four episodes and a lot of the times when it we gets do, a lot better when we talk in these first hey we just watched the first episode things like you've seen four i've seen one you have a little bit more momentum and context and i thought it was good i'm, I'm excited to check out too I, I don't necessarily know if this is ever gonna fly for me
1: well, what's interesting about it is that it's it's tough to sort of downshift from talking about Game of Thrones, which feels essential and feels enormous and is enormous, to a show like Halt and Catch Fire. I don't think Halt and Catch Fire is ever going to be Mad Men, you know, yeah. I, certainly on, many, on a lot of levels, and certainly not even in the way AMC wishes it could be ratings-wise. I'm really—so for me, it's really more about being thrilled and gratified to see a show that is as— um, emotionally interesting as this has the potential to be that is about creativity and collaboration in a way that is not dependent on cops and murderers or ice zombies because we have all those not anything wrong with those we have all those totally and and again this is an example of you know I i wrote about this a little bit in the pieces i wrote about empire in the beginning of the year where talking about diversity casting or you know or um elevating uh elevating female roles to the equal of the male roles or even beyond that I think that's good because I think diversity is generally an essential thing in all areas, workplaces, entertainment, whatever it may be. But television doesn't operate like that for the most part. Like they're not going to put a show like Empire on the air because it feels good to have given black actors a chance to lead a show. What happened with Empire was look at the ratings. Mm-hmm. Look at the audience that was waiting for a show like this. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, there's a reason to do this. And what, what always surprised me was that every, you know, as these networks, either the ones struggling to find an identity or the ones like AMC struggling to stay a- swimming with the big boys, as they kept churning out these kind of samey um, you know, assembly line kind of dramas, why didn't any one of them just say, well, one quick way to make it stand out would be just to put women in the lead? Just flip it, like and I honestly think like that would have been enough on some yeah, level just to get i my actually
0: interest. i'll say I'll say this much here's Here's one thing that I think that I think is that they didn't go far <laughs> enough that I think that it's still too democratic, and that we still that the dramatic weight was too equally distributed across yeah. four leads, and that I would almost prefer a structure not trying to second guess what these guys are going or where they're where they're going with the show but i would almost prefer a structure which we don't actually see a lot of anymore which is the lost structure which is a main character per episode with some b and c plots but that there's a focus and i felt like people would leave the screen as soon as they got interesting in this episode
1: that's interesting to say. I mean, a lot of this episode, you know, it, when, you, when you see something, and I, I, you know, I just said I, had, I don't know if I've ever seen anything as radical as this in terms of a reboot. But when you see a show staking out new territory, you have to remember that it's not just making the case to people who had been watching it before. Yeah. Or making the case to new viewers. For sure. They're making the case to the network in the studio, too. They're basically saying, okay, you trusted us. Please keep trusting us. This is what it's going to look like. So it's tentative. Yeah. And you know, th- there's a there's a reason why the season premiere begins with a sort of strange, discordant flashback to season one that wasn't very interesting. Yeah, because it's trying to ease people into. And there's something also they lots of scenes where they're
0: like, "Remember when you burned all the computers? Damn you!" So you know, mu- There's you so sh-
1: much of that. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's also the gentle uh, massaging of egos to consider too, because it's pretty wild that you know lee pace yeah shout out to the big up.
0: homie lee pace
1: <laughs> lee pace basically was like i'm in a marvel movie and i'm the new don draper and then you know the marvel movie makes a billion dollars but he's you know the 19th most interesting thing in it because he's wearing blue pancake makeup the whole time and carrying not even a hammer not as cool as thor's <laughs> and in this in this he's now basically been demoted to fourth lead yeah now i think that character is more interesting as fourth lead but i can't imagine here his agent feel that way but you know, well, this we'll is actually, and that's
0: also. We can talk more about this as the season goes on. But one of the things that I liked about what you were saying in your piece about the show was the way how much shows uh, like dramas have have traded on mystery. Not necessarily yeah. a mystery, but like the the major sort of selling point on most lead yes. characters and shows is the mystery: what's their secret? Where are they
1: really from? Yeah. Who are they really? And Who is Don When Graper? you make
0: the decision that that person is actually, in fact, not the most interesting person on the show. Well, you've invested so much in this mystery, then there's sometimes not a lot there. So I think it'll be interesting to watch them rebuild that character over the course of the season.
1: Yes, and I think they do a pretty smart job of it, at least in the early going. But, you know, I I just really did – because I said that whole thing about how it would be – you know, as as my people and half of your people would say, a Dianu moment. Like, that would have been enough. Yeah. Like, if they had just put the women in the lead. But that's selling it short because I think that Carrie Bechet and Mackenzie Davis are really interesting actors and performers. They have a really great chemistry, and it's just entirely fresh. Like, the way that the – and Scoot McNary has stuff to do, and I feel like he tends to work better in the background anyway, but – he and like the relationship between the Clarks is a really interesting look at a at a pretty fair and balanced marriage. Yeah, she's she's as smart and accomplished as he is. They made these kids together. And now in this yeah, season, the scene he's where he's walking around husband.
0: telling her all the stuff he's going to do and how the kid knows how to sing. Hey, Jude. And she's just like, oh, man, like, where are my car keys?
1: And the fact that she doesn't really have time to notice that his nosebleeds are, you know, maybe not the result of bad sinuses. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's That it's, notoriously it's, dry Texas air. Oh, it's, it really singes the nostrils. It's a very promising. Show you,
0: like you thing. The, the one last thing, note I will make about it is that I think that the, uh, the Lee Pace character would be improved if his dialogue didn't all sound like it was coming from uh, next week on Mad Men.
1: Because yeah, he totally only right. seems
0: to walk into a room and be like, we'll know when we know, and that's the future. And then walks out the door.
1: Like. Shit. Yeah, and he's like, shut the door behind you. It's, uh, it, it, I'm sorry amazing, for you.
0: Something big's coming.
1: There's an amazing line that Carrie Bechet's character has in, I think, the third episode where she's basically like, my interest in tall, dark mannequins has, has diminished considerably. And I just feel like that, she's voicing the TV audience. Yeah. So the fact that they're puncturing, they're, the, the show is now devoted to popping holes in that self, that balloon they inflated of sort of dark brooding mystery who, who talks like that. Yeah, That's, that it alone is promising. So, but again, it's worth saying I, I'm really celebrating the show be, because it's good, because it's interesting, and because it's different. It is not like everything else right now, and that is not saying that it's great, but it doesn't need to be great yet.
0: Um, let's move on really quickly to wrap up with a little bit of talk about, oh no, actually we're going to talk about two more things. Um, we got
1: a couple topics. Let's talk I'm a little bit out. about
0: these records that just came out. So, um, last week, I believe last Tuesday we had, uh, it was like Sunday night. Whatever. I keep so hard cause nothing ever comes out on Tuesday anymore. No. So we had the ASAP record a long last ASAP dropped. Um, and Andy and I are avowed fans of the first ASAP Rocky album and the, and the ASAP knob stuff and all of his mixtapes.
1: Well, so what do you think of this record?
0: Um, I actually really like it as a vibe record, like as just having it on. And I just like the way Rocky raps. Like I, I, it's, it's his voice and his lyrics. It's more like his flow winds up just being another element of the track to me. It's not necessarily like I, I put it on trial to like really investigate what he's got to say about the world. Yeah. Um, Super into like the druggy kind of like. Psychedelic, although I think it's a little bit overblown, but the psychedelic overtones of the record. uh, There's no problems. There's no one train. There's no uh, wild for the night, but that doesn't necessarily make it any worse. That bad. I think the the first album's better, but I, I like this one.
1: I think it's too long. But most records are too long. I mean, it's 18 yeah. Who tracks. Who listens to the whole it, album, though? You know, like. the, well, that's the thing. But it's kind of... I really like it. I like putting it on and I just enjoyed it, which is not really a active kind of music listening, but yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty interesting moment because... And I, I, I am going to reach for the very strained Game of Thrones comparison here because we do <laughs> feel like we're kind of in an interesting moment with rap where basically the the various lords of their realms have retreated to their ancestral homes and castles yeah. and are just busy just building up those walls yeah. and so I enjoy very much like visiting ASAP Rocky's castle and then you go to Drake's world um but there isn't doesn't feel like there's very much communication between these, or Kendrick Lamar certainly well it's interesting we're in this say moment that. where and we we talked about this before a little bit with Kendrick where. It's interesting. Albums are now so dense because why else would you spend all that time making an album? As you said, no one's listening to it all the way through except people who truly care. Yeah. So the album becomes this in a way that I don't know if it ever really was for hip hop, kind of a statement, like a like a more cohesive personal expression of both a brand and an aesthetic that is kind of impenetrable to people who aren't into that vibe or aesthetic or brand very much different than the first asap album which was the mixtapes were like that but the first album was like here's everyone i'm vaguely affiliated with here's this track here's skrillex and so i guess the work then the day-to-day work of attracting fans happens elsewhere on on guest guest appearances and other people's songs or whatever but the albums are these sort of very very imposing monuments to their style
0: i guess it's always like critics and fans who Fill in the dialogue where that conversation is supposed to be happening that you're talking about, but I do think now is a particularly interesting time for R&B and soul and hip hop because you've had three records over the last six months. I guess whenever when did D'Angelo come out? November, it was the end of the year. Yeah, so so towards the end of the year when um, when D'Angelo's album came out, and then this ASAP record is one thing, but I really find the this this new record um, Surf by Chance the Rapper and his. So it's Chance's on some of this record. It is really a record credited to Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment. Andy and I sure. had a hilarious text message conversation this weekend where I kept asking him if he had heard Surf. I he thought you were kept, talking about some. App. It was like, like I didn't know what you were talking. The about. The whitest Abbott and Costello routine <laughs> we've ever had. I think
1: I was like I saw someone talking about that on Twitter. What is it? And you were like, Have you heard? Then you changed the subject. And you were like, Have you heard ASAP Rocky and Chance the Rapper? I'm like, I've heard ASAP Rocky. I haven't. You know, I I then I, I said that and then. And then I was like, "What is surf?" And you were like, "It's it's Chance's album." And I was like, "So it's an album?" And you wrote, "Chance is a rapper."
0: <laughs> it's in the name.
1: <laughs> it's right there in his title. It's like Chris yeah. the Podcaster. Yeah. And then you started talking about like Freddie Trombone and his long tail, and I didn't know what I didn't know you we were talking so about. So this is
0: Chance is sort of the band leader. Well, he's not really the band leader because this guy Nico is the trumpet player, is the band sure. leader. I think Chance's
1: name was Freddie
0: Avatar of this. Uh, of this group, Donnie Trump and the Social S- Experiment. Donnie. Um He appears on most of the songs. It's kind of unclear. Uh, the album is a sort of, like, very life-affirming, uh, sumptuous, exciting, loose, weird, dense record that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. But it does feel like there's, like, an interesting conversation that's happening in the music. I mean, you can feel this record as, like, the inverse to the D'Angelo record. It's oh. the same sort of, like... Multi, like incredibly, like layered, instrumentally, like complicated, textured album. But it, whereas D'Angelo was very rain, rain, clouds, and it was about a lot of it. It was about darkness, even if it was about love. This album is just about the life affirm of, of like like life affirming capabilities of music. To me,
1: you sold me on it at the end. It started a little little shaky. Yeah, uh, but
0: nothing gets you into it like jazz funk pop fusion is is just your your bag
1: it's just hard to i mean it, it i also understand why albums are being released the way they're being released both from a you know a, in terms of managing the marketplace but also as bulwarks against the kind of instant hot take culture that we are participating in right at this very moment yeah, by right. talking about it it resists it like all I, what i'm ta- what i what i've said about the asap rocky album is no different than what i said about the kendrick album a few months ago or the d'angelo album which is it's a monolith right now yeah. I, I cannot pick out very many strands um unless they're labeled featuring rod stewart like I, I i can't that's just not what this is yet so it's basically means now we go back underground with pickaxes and we go back to work on it if we so choose yeah um and it's the rare record that actually is you know that that holds the interest long enough to do that these days, I'm afraid. I mean, I, we're, we're probably not going to get further into it now, and it's a pretty big stylistic jump from ASAP Rocky, but we kept teasing that we were going to talk about Brandon Flowers, and we didn't actually talk about it all the way through, just, like, the deep love that we both have for that album. And it... There, I wonder really if
0: any, it, there are no bad songs on that record.
1: It's because there are no bad songs on it. And it's like... <laughs> but it's also... There is a... God, I, I'm trying to think out loud here. It's a little bit tricky because I'm not good at it. Well, it was funny. Of Somebody
0: things. said that I, a, friend, a friend of mine was listening to us <laughs> sort of rattle off the references that we heard on the album. And they were like, You guys you were like, so Kenny excited <laughs> about that record. And I was getting excited. And then I heard you start talking about Mike and the mechanics and Peter Gabriel and George Michael. And I was like, Nope. And yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to undersell it by saying, like, It sounds like Peter Gabriel or it like, sounds like Do George you Michael?
1: like Mark Cohn's walking in Memphis? Well. <laughs> Have I got ten tracks of six pop for you? Where are you going? For yeah, you.
0: Uh, yeah I, I, you know, the more I listen to that record, um there's still super bad Brandon Flowers lyrics on there. No such thing. Um, do you think that that record is really religious?
1: Yeah, everything he does is super religious. For sure. He said that to me as you're, much as You're saying the that to
0: me like I'm just like the dumbest person in the world.
1: No, right? I just mean like he – here's the thing about Brandon Kirk Flowers. <laughs> here's the thing <laughs> – <laughs> what if you <he> were? <laughs> there's, there's the thing about Brandon Flowers that I think um, befuddles a lot of people is that he really doesn't have subtext. Yeah, like th- this isn't a stunt. This isn't ironic in any way. Like he is a, he's, he's, I think he's got great taste in records. I think he's a really good songwriter, singer, and arranger. There's part of him that's just he's kind of a goober. I mean, he loves these. He loves these songs, and I really appreciate the fact that he's like. Well, who is the dude session drumming on the best pop songs of 1988? Oh, he's available? Yeah. Why would I not have the best session drummer? Where's the cool points in not having that guy? Like, let's just make it the best thing possible.
0: He's also got really good taste in producers.
1: Yes, he does. And that was what was interesting that he... Right, because he chose to work with Ariel Reichstadt, who is much more... At least affiliated with a much more sort of cutting edge... Well, he was able
0: to take all these elements of those 80s records that we were talking about. Like... Whether it's Horns here or Bruce Hornsby piano there, Kenny Aronoff drums there, and Carlos Alomar from David Bowie's bands playing guitar on songs, and synthesize them into a sound that was very much a record by the guy who's the lead singer of the killers. I mean it sounds I, I, I guess, of a piece.
1: I guess what I'm saying is that the the Brandon Flowers record is a is a monolith in the sense that it is sculpted and tight and it is what it is and it just hits you. Like there's there's really no there's no wiggle room, there's very little nuance, it's just it's just great songs yeah. across this record. When I, was saying, when I was saying that, like, the Kendrick record and the ASAP Rocky album are monoliths, monoliths, they kind of are in a similar way, but they're also very much questing. There's, like, 18 tracks of kind of figuring it out, and now I'm dropping acid, and now I'm saying things I probably shouldn't about a British pop star. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a experimentation on those records that I really appreciate, almost as much as I appreciate the professionalism. Yeah. But I don't know about that mix of the experimental searching... And the monolithic professionalism, like this is the document, this is the tablet coming down from on high. Sure,
0: it's funny. I, you know, we is were that talking making any sense at no, all. No, it totally does. I mean, I was also thinking about this in terms of, uh, you know, we, we were talking about *Halt and Catch Fire* and the music on it. It's got great music. Molly did a yes. podcast with the showrunners, and she's got a piece coming soon about some of the music on the show.
1: Because they got Husker do they have Ice school Works. There's, yeah. um, and then brilliantly, there's like in a coming up episode, there's x hex which is mary timothy's band that i yeah. love and it sounds like it could be from the 80s even though it's well, that's not. the
0: thing is that so i remember when we were in like college or whatever and we would listen to the rentals or like reggie and the full effect and they would put a keyboard on top of what was basically yeah. a alt rock or a pop punk sh- song and We'd be like this is so new wave man this is so 80s these guys are just going so 80s and it's like it's like the difference between playing super nintendo and and and, like, using an Oculus vision, like, like visor, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you listen to the way that Brandon Flowers is, like, no, I'm, like, doing it in the studio that they made Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel or whatever. You know, like, yes. like I've got the same gate on the snare that I'm they have on it. George Michael Faith, you know, like. Yeah,
1: this is, this is not a cape I put on, even though I wear capes. Yeah. Like, it, this is actually who he is, and I—, I God, I I don't know what I'm... When I say things like that, it sounds like I'm, you know, front row at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It it, it really isn't about being genuine. It's just that it's just... I. It makes me happy because it's a bunch of good songs. So far, though, good year for music. Has been a good year for music. Has been a good year for music. Are we, we going to go through our Spotify list?
0: No, we'll do that. We should say that for a down week after Thrones. Um, do you want to ask me anything about Aloha?
1: Yes. Aloha is the new film by Cameron Crowe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a... I'm just going to tell you this and our listeners. It has an incredible cast of Bradley Cooper, uh, America's Sweetheart, or just mine, Emma Stone, um, Rachel McAdams. One quarter
0: Chinese Emma Stone.
1: Yes, I I didn't know that prior to this film. (laughs) Uh, Danny McBride, Bill Murray, my old pal John Krasinski, I mean, Alec Baldwin. Like, this is is a cast. Your girl from Banshee is is in it. Right, you mentioned, thank you for mentioning Banshees, Ivana Milichevich. And I was like, oh? That was like a dog whistle just for me. Um, this is an IMDB my page. My girlfriend
0: was, I was like, that's the girl from Banshee. And she was like, what are, you, what are those She's words? Like, what is that?
1: Yeah. But this is an IMDB page I would pay $14.50 for uh, yeah. if I ever went to movies. So my question about Aloha is, why? Uh,
0: what? So... I wrote a piece about this today. He's been working on this movie since 2008, at least, when movies. it was called Deep Tiki. I think at another point it was called Hawaii, simply. It was supposed to star Ben Stiller and Reese Witherspoon. and The Queen. It has been a long gestating project. And I think I, I'm kind of curious. We'll never know because it just sounds like he shut it down on this one. Like, he didn't do any press leading up to it. I don't know when he will do the post-mortem uh, Well, also, on.
1: I mean, we should also preface this by saying that no, this, no movie has ever had this happen where the, the Sony hack happened. It might be and the biggest
0: game. victim of the – I mean, among the aside from the people whose privacy were invaded, I don't mean to put it that way. But as far as films go, it was probably the biggest victim. I mean, even Jobs looks like it's off to a flying start in terms of – Yes. The pedigree and the people but, involved. But this is in the one it. that it's Amy Pascal was just like,
1: there's an email from the head of the studio being like, this is a disaster. Yeah, I'm never going to do this
0: again it. when the script is this ridiculous. The music is bad. He didn't make any of the changes, yada, yada. Um, taking it outside of that, that the, the, the lens, like looking at it outside of the lens of, of the leaks and stuff, I almost wonder whether or not this was gestating too long. Because yeah. it feels like either a novel or a television show, but not a movie. Because there's just too many movies in here. And you know, and, there's, and you,
1: very, you articulated all three of them very well.
0: Yeah, and case. there are some cool movies in here. And there's actually one that's very, very interesting, which is the Rachel McAdams, John Krasinski, Bradley Cooper love triangle. But the Emma Stone story is sort of extra to requirements to that. And so is the entire like this huge bit about like the military and satellites and privatization and the privatization yeah. of space and like all this other stuff. Uh, And to say nothing of the fact that Hawaii is a third layer that kind of gets stapled on. So these feel like three distinct stories that were kind of smashed together. And I have no doubt. I mean, you know, we've seen this with tons of television shows where somebody finds a setting and then they start putting this story and a story about this in there. And there's a story about that in there. But, you know, not everything has to be 90 minutes and, and have a bow on the end of it. But this was just really one of those like, God, somebody needed to step in like 2011 and tell them like, you know, maybe you should take this part out.
1: There are two – the two most important jobs in story creation uh, – there are two important, really important jobs, and one gets all the credit, and one is, like, finding the world. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm going to make a show about advertising in the 1960s. I'm going to make a show about the mafia or whatever it may be. I'm going to make a show about burn bags. Yeah. The, the second job, which is in many ways as important, is then building the fence around the part of the world. You know, and we talked about *Halt and Catch Fire*. They built the fence in the wrong place in season one, right. and they were able to re to redo it. A movie, a movie that kind of the movie gets shot, and then they do that kind of fence work in post production, which is a lot more ungainly and a lot less smooth. And it does sound like why? Why does Cameron Crowe take this long? It doesn't. Well, sound I wonder like it whether or not
0: you know the 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 this, the sort of initial plot line of this movie is that a guy who has had some sort of professional embarrassment finds redemption in his personal life, and then which through his is, personal life, finds but that's redemption every, in his every life, Which is everyone. Every Cameron Crowe movie. Right. Say anything, not say anything, but um, Jerry Maguire, it's, it's Elizabeth It's singles down, Jerry Maguire, Elizabeth Singles, Singles. We bought a zoo, I guess. I wonder whether or not he was like, this needs to be, if I'm going to do another movie like this, it needs to say something more about the world. You know, it needs to but have, then there's
1: the. But then someone came in, whether it was himself or people around him that he trusts came in and said, no, Cameron, people go to your movies to see what you do, so you have to do what you do. And by the way, the last time you did something you don't do, it was Vanilla Sky. So don't do that. At least
0: Vanilla Sky made money.
1: Well, right, but yeah. they also had Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz at their commercial, not Apex, yeah. but on the way up. But anyway, like, what, weird what, movie. I would if-
0: definitely rent it just to see because you don't really. I don't feel like a lot of stuff of this kind of pedigree makes it to theaters anymore. You know, like yeah. when you hear about like, oh, they shut that movie down, or like they abandoned Tron Three, or like they've they're not going to make this. You kind of wonder whether that's because somebody got a sense of, oh, man, we need to stop this.
1: It's also kind of an amazing story that I guess will come out in, in, in bits and pieces. But Cameron Crowe has such goodwill and people love him so much. And he's made some truly amazing movies, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not – I mean, I, I think we're, we're big fans of, of Almost Famous and Say Anything and, and Fast Times and weirdly of singles. Um, I like singles, yeah. Uh but – and, and I, he's the sort of person we point to as being like, oh, there should be a place for him in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be a place for someone who can make these sorts of movies and tell these kinds of stories and have that specific voice and tone. Um, there's also the other element of it. I don't know if you feel this, but, you know, the, the legend of the origin story of Cameron Crowe, you know, is he was the teenage rock writer from Rolling Stone. Right. Uh, who had this crazy early part of his career and then jumped and found this enormous success in a second medium. And for those of us who toil as reviewers and critics and things like that, that's kind of an inspiring origin story. Not that we all want to make rom coms, but that that there is more to this, you know. And so the idea of him failing and failing so noisily and loudly is kind of galling and it's upsetting. I mean, you kind of hoped that he would keep being able to, be able to keep finding the thread, but maybe mm-hmm. maybe the the lifespan of rom coms or that sort of gentle storytelling is short. Like like James L. Brooks can't quite figure it out anymore either. Yeah, you know? and, I mean, and
0: some people have it and they lose it. I don't know. You can also find it again, but it's it's interesting. I mean, the, there's there's more filmmakers who made two or three really great movies and then just sort of decayed over the years than there are ones who had those 25, 30-year consistent careers.
1: And there's always television as a soft landing spot. There you go. Rody's coming going. on Showtime, right? Seriously, yes. Yeah. And that's probably a better fit for him if he can sort of No, Aloha the... would have
0: made a very convincing 12 episodes television show.
1: It'll be interesting to see whether he can embrace the medium on its own or as a kind of demotion. Yeah. Because for a guy who worships Billy Wilder like, and is so set in his ways and is older now, like, the thought of having to learn a whole new skill set can be daunting. Not yeah. everyone can do it. It'll be interesting to see.
0: Alright, let's wrap up. We got Watch the Thrones on Wednesday. You can subscribe to Hollywood Prospectus on its own feed on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to Watch the Thrones on its own feed on iTunes. Um, we are teasing this watch the thrones live show for june 11th we are still looking for a venue but we'll figure it
1: out it's in new york city i know of a town uh, it's by the water yeah ocean no is views. it do, do i bring um, a
0: jacket is it kind of cold up
1: there bring a parka um how comfortable are you with corpses yeah no as ground? long as
0: they're moving around i'm fine
1: oh good okay, okay. so that's where I'm, I'm scouting that location tomorrow i'll let you know all right buddy i'll talk to you wednesday great job baranski thank you for listening to grant to hear more Grantland shows in your ear balls, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes, or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.